Hello everyone, welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. My name is Lelo B and I'm super excited to bring you this episode brought to you in partnership with the Joburg Film Festival, Our Stories, Our Gold. The Joburg Film Festival is back for its fifth year and sponsored by Multi-Choice Group. It is an initiative that was born out of a desire to create an exciting and independent platform that not only tells Africa's stories but also showcases and rewards local and international excellence in film. Now from Tuesday the 31st of January up until Sunday the 5th of February, the festival will showcase some of the finest films from countries all over the world. I hope you're going to get your tickets ready and go have a look because you are in for a treat with these amazing films that they have put together to showcase. Now you might be wondering, what do travel and film have in common and why is Lelo talking about films? Well, I believe that travel and film both have the power to transport us to different places and cultures, whether it's through physically visiting a location or through the imagination that is sparked by a film. Now as someone who loves travel, just as much as television and film, I am thrilled to bring you guys this series of interviews with film directors who are participating in the Joburg Film Festival and have been inspired by travels in the work that they do. In this particular episode, I will be chatting with Ike Naebue, who is the director of No U10, a film that is following the illegal migrant trail from Nigeria to Morocco. Ike and I will talk about a different type of travel, migrating for survival and a better life, and we chat more about his experience on the trail. So let's jump straight into my conversation with Ike. Enjoy. Hello, Ike. Welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. Hi, Lelo. Thank you. I'm super excited to chat with you. I mean, we are in Jobex looking, uh, counting down to the to the film festival that's happening from the 31st from next week. Uh, you, you're coming down, right? You're coming here for the festival. Yes, we are working on it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hope to see you in Jobek then. So, Ike, you made a very interesting documentary called No U10. I know the documentary itself was inspired by your story, whereby all those years ago, you left Nigeria via Benin, Mali, Mauritania, Morocco, and so on, on a quest to go to Europe. But somewhere along the way, you were forced to turn back. I don't know if you were forced to turn back or whether you made a decision to uh, to to stop on your quest to go to Europe. Which one was it? Um, I think it's the both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I was definitely intent on continuing my journey, you know, to um, the destination that I wanted to reach before I left Nigeria. But when myself and my friends that we were traveling together, I was traveling with um, three friends, so we were four. And when we got to Bamako, we met a Nigerian trader who happened to have been on the bus with us from Ouagadougou to Bamako. So he was literally listening to every conversation that we were having. Um, we were speaking in our Ibu dialect, thinking that nobody was hearing what we're saying. And of course, we we're just talking about what life would be like in Europe, um, how we're going to work hard in the plantations and work our way up and, you know, start sending cars and start 
building houses in Nigeria, you know, this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guy, the man uh, is a trader or was a trader who was going to Nigeria to buy things and selling in Mali, in, in, you know, somewhere in Bamako. So it was one of his trips when he was coming back from Lagos that um, we happened to be in the same bus. And when we got to Bamako, the man called us and told us he's been listening to uh, our conversations and he's evil as well. Mm. And that he couldn't in good conscience let us continue without letting us know about the dangers that we were about to face. Because after after Bamako, the next half of our journey was now taking us deep into the desert. And he told us that that was the most dangerous part of the journey and that there were a lot of things happening on that journey. A lot of people have lost their lives on that route. Um, there was a lot of kidnapping, um, people being caught and sold into slavery. Um, there was just so many things happening that it became very clear that this was now a very dangerous journey and became too risky for me. The reason why I left Nigeria was to go and find a better life mm-hmm. so I can um, help my family. But I figured that if I die in the process of trying to find this better life, then what help would that be for my family and how you know would that be a good thing for me as well? So I realized that I didn't want to continue. I just decided that this was too much of a risk. But at that point, we had left Nigeria for, I think, about two weeks. And we couldn't just go back like that. You know, everybody said, oh, the news has spread that, oh, we had left to Europe. And everybody was now waiting for us to start (laughs) sending money and stuff like that. (laughs) So I... Nobody wanted to just go back as a failure, you know. So we were like, okay, what are we going to do? We're not going to continue, but then we can't just go back. Of course, you know, you know, this stigmatization that goes with that type of failure. My young mind wasn't prepared to deal with that at that time. I was just 20. I had turned 20 on that weekend that we left, mm-hmm. you know. So like confused and sort of not knowing what to do we met another nigerian in the bus pack who was also um, traveling but he wasn't traveling our route then he had his wife and his daughter in gambia he said he was a sailor he lived in austria he was going to gambia and when we told him when he learned of our predicament he said he could take us to Gambia and that from Gambia he could help us to process visas and stuff and travel from Gambia by air instead of risking our lives on the road. And it sounded so beautiful, the option that he presented to us, that we started literally calling him the Messiah. <laughs> and so he took us to the Gambia. Before we crossed the border between Senegal and Gambia, he told us that we should give him our passports, we should give him all our money because the immigration would seize our money if they found 
money or not, but if he had the money, of course, he um, has his family in Gambia. He said he has a resident permit in Gambia, that he has no problem crossing the borders. But of course, we didn't have any any papers to cross the borders. Um, so we, we believed him and we gave him all our money. We gave him our passports. At the border, he told the border, the immigration, that we are auto mechanics that he brought from Nigeria to fix the cars that he had imported from Austria and all that. And so they let us pass and we got into the Gambia. To call a long story short, after like three days, he disappeared on us with all our money. And he was kind enough, I would say, to drop our passports. And we were able to recover our passports, but we lost every other thing. And that's the story of how we became stranded in the Gambia with nobody, um, not knowing where to turn and all that. And then, of course, we started to ask for how we can find any Nigerian in the country. And then we found a Nigerian restaurant, mm-hmm. which became my first job. <laughs> I, I started to work in the restaurant to wash plates and stuff like that with no salary. My salary was one meal a day. And that was like a big breakthrough for me at the time. So, yeah. That is a very interesting story. Um, And, you know, when you started talking about how you guys gave him money and your passports at the border, I thought he was going to leave you guys there. But at least he was good enough to get you guys inside. (laughs) In fact, he was so kind. He rented a a one-room, even if the one-room was, like, trash. But at least he paid for one month for us before he disappeared. So we we had a place to put our heads, at least. He was a kind con man. (laughs) A very kind comment indeed. And I, I think you you said that you stayed in Gambia for another two years and then you ended up, uh, you know, wanting to go going back home after that. But just to to ask, was part of you making this this documentary inspired? But I mean, the fact that you you also felt some responsibility towards warning the people that embark on this journey uh, of, you know, I guess to warn them of the dangers. Uh, what what inspired you to actually decide I'm going to make this documentary and retrace my steps and just go back on that journey? Yeah, I think from that period when I had that experience, this always been my desire to tell the story so that people would know what's, what's out there, you know, so people would be aware of the level of risk that they would be taking should they decide to embark on that kind of journey. I didn't want anybody just packing their bags and leaving without knowing fully well um, what dangers that are ahead because I didn't know the dangers that was there. If I had known, I wouldn't have left Nigeria. So yes, I've carried that responsibility for a very long time before I finally got the opportunity to make the film so that if they still want to make the decision to migrate, then it would be at least that they are making a well-informed decision to risk their lives. So yes, that responsibility was the major um, inspiration for me to make the film. So now you went on this journey and uh, maybe tell, tell us a bit about some of the people that you met. How did you get them to trust you? Um, and, and I guess the second part to that is on hearing, you know, their motivations for even taking that risk. What stood out for you and what surprised or maybe shocked you? So start with what shocked me the most, what surprises I met the most was that this time there were a lot of women on the trip, you know, 
when I first made that trip or attempted that trip, there was there was not a lot of women making that kind of journey. But this time it appears that there's actually a lot of women um, on that road. And that kind of surprised me. And then how I got people to trust me to share their stories. I think the key thing for me was showing my own vulnerability first mm. with them in front of the camera most times or even before the camera starts, um, started rolling I would spend time um, even though most of the time we didn't have a lot of time because we were always on the move people were always on the move but the little time that I had I made sure I spent time to build a kind of a rapport like such sort of friendship really with the people that I wanted to speak with and telling them my own story helped a lot because it just showed them that, ah, oh, okay, this person is one of us. You know, um, he has been on this journey before. So there's some sort of that um, kindred spirit there that kind of like helped people to trust me. Most of the people that I spoke with, the first time I started to talk with them, their initial reaction would be like, oh, maybe this is a spy from the government or something, you know. But once they started to hear my stories, and of course, there are facts that you can share that people will know that, okay, this one is not um, is not making this thing up, mm-hmm. you know. Once they hear my story, it was easy for them now to tell their own story as well. And then in terms of, you know, were you trying to make this 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 documentary, what are some of the challenges or obstacles that you may have come across, particularly in terms of access and logistics? I know at some point in one of your interviews, you mentioned that the crew at some point was affected by the stress and the security threat, you know, while you guys were on the road. It was quite a very, very challenging film to make, actually, both logistically, physically and mentally, you know. First of all, just road trips in West Africa, for instance, it's a lot of stress. Even if you're just traveling for just, you know, maybe you're going from one country to another by road, it's stressful on its own because um, so many factors, schedules don't work. Buses, of course, don't leave when they say they will leave. Sometimes they leave two, three days later. And you cannot even say, oh, let me be in a hotel and go when the bus is ready because they would, nobody would even call you when the bus is about to leave. So you literally have to be in the park all day, all night. The security part of it wasn't too much of, we didn't really encounter any major security issue. The only problem we had was in Mauritania we were literally detained in Mauritania. We were detained for like two days, and it, it, at some point it became very scary because apparently Mauritania is a country that you do not want to mess with. Literally, they don't have any diplomatic responsibilities to anybody. They, it's like a rogue country that just does whatever they like. And they, they apparently I hear that there's a lot of human rights violations in the country which is why they hate to see cameras mm. and when they even googled my name and found out that i was even like 
an established filmmaker, it became even more difficult to even try to discuss with them. And of course, they would not even speak English. Um, even French was difficult for them to speak. They always insist on speaking Arabic. And none of us could speak Arabic. And so it was really quite complicated. And at some point, we just wanted to, whatever was possible for us to just get out of that country. And we eventually were able to um, allowed to get on the next available flight. And the flight we found was to Dakar. We had nothing to do in Dakar, but anything but Mauritania. Get out, yeah. Just get out, you know, even um, because of my co-production partnership with a, um, a French company, the French embassy told us that we should do whatever possible to just get out of that country. They couldn't even do any diplomatic thing with them and all that. So that was quite scary. Okay, I guess we won't be visiting Mauritania anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Not anytime soon. <laughs> okay, so Ike, but how did you balance, you know, the need to tell a compelling story with the responsibility also, you know, to, ex- to portray those experiences, the experiences of those migrants accurately and respectfully? How did you make that balance? It wasn't a difficult balance for me to actually make. I think that the interesting thing about art is that true art, it's always a reflection of the artist. And I think the fact that I genuinely like to meet people, I'm genuinely interested in, you know, people's stories and stuff like that. So it was just not even something I I had to think about. I think one of the major things I really wanted to learn about the journey is why is it that after all these years and with all the publicity around the dangers on that route, people are still willing to risk their lives. I guess what I found was that that hope is a very powerful thing. I ended up actually getting inspired myself with the stories of the people that I spoke with at the the level of what people are willing to do once their mind is locked onto something that gives them a hope of a better life, I would say. Mm -hmm. If looking from outside, you can see that "Mm, this hope really needs a bit of more information. You can see a lot of naivety in a lot of the way that people are hoping that this Europe will change their lives. Mm. And so that is there. But overall, the fact that the human mind can be so exited on something and and is willing to do anything to get that thing, mm. it's something that really hit me with making the film, Strong. you know, yeah. And I mean, this continues to be such a, a big, uh, even political conversation as well. But at the core of, you know, I guess maybe your documentary, it, it just forces us to look at it from actually these migrants' perspective and what it is that drives them to to end up putting themselves in these risky situations. But how do you see, you know, the situation of illegal migration just evolving in, in, in the near future, given all the conversations that are happening around it? I think there are two sides to the coin. For me, what I say is that regular migration is a symptom 
of something more deep-rooted, you know, and until we start to actually tackle the real root cause, we would be wasting a lot of energy and, you know, we would not be achieving a lot just treating the symptoms. The issue with irregular migration and as we you know, as it has to do with West Africans especially, it's the issue of self-actualization. People feel that there is nothing in their home countries for them. They will continue to leave to find greener pastures. And not everybody would be able to process visas to Canada or to US or, you know, those type of um, migration, which is really a big problem right now in Nigeria. In fact, it's so bad now in Nigeria that it's beginning to affect the corporate workforce. Companies are now panicking because everybody's leaving. Mm. It's a serious problem. It's almost like an exodus of, of people just trooping out of Nigeria. Of course, Canada has all these opportunities that they offer, and even the UK as well. You know, because these countries, the reason is very simple, and our people don't even know. The populations of these countries are getting too old to work, and they still have to, you know, they have to keep the economy going. Someone has to work mm. for them to be able to keep the systems going. And as people are getting old, they need their, their pensions and all that. And people have to work for that. And so they open these immigration opportunities to bring in new workforce. Of course, if you check in the categories and how they would, you know, the things that you have to fulfill to qualify, mm. one of them is you have to be young. You have to have some sort of skill and stuff like that. So it's a problem. And people are trooping out in their numbers because there's nothing for them in their home country. So politically, we need to have conversations about what can we do to make sure that people are able to dream in their home countries. Mm-hmm. I read something about you getting involved in setting up a program just to help people return. We're creating a program. In fact, we're almost ready to launch. Mm-hmm. But the program is very simple. We provide accommodation for one year for any migrant that wants to come back. And then we we'll help them get training um, we help them get job placements, just basically help them to reintegrate back into the society. Mm. Because after you've been out on that type of trip, and some of them have been out for four years, met someone that was out for six years. This is a Nigerian guy I spoke with in Morocco. He's been out for 10 years. So when those kinds of people return, it's difficult for them to reintegrate back into the society. So that's what we're trying to do, to create that platform that allows them to be able to come back. Most times people just need a little bit of support and they are, they are super hardworking, they are super smart and intelligent, but if there's no structure to support them, it becomes a problem. So yes, that's why we're we are, we are working on the program and we're launching it. We will launch it in February. That is amazing. I think it's an important program and all the best with, with, with it. What do you hope, you know, people will take away? And I and I guess you've you've, you've gotten quite a, a positive response. You know, you've won a couple of awards with this documentary already. But what do you hope that the audience will take away from watching it? What impact do you want it to have as people watch? 
initially, you know, the impact I wanted for people was just to be aware, you know, just have the information. But after we made the film and with all the responses that we've gotten, in fact, before we even released the film, what hit me the most is that personally I got inspired making the film mm. at so many levels. First of all, to understand that where you are, you should be thankful. You know what I mean? Like that thing where in your head, you're always thinking that, oh, there could be something better. I could be doing better with my life. I could, you know, have more money or I could be, you know what I mean? But when you go through that type of a journey and you see other human beings and what they are going through, naturally you'll be like, oh, <laughs> thank, me, thank God for my life, at least the way it is, you know what I mean? And then you're also inspired by the fact that people can hope literally against all odds, you know? Um, and they, so that's one. Another thing is I really want to engage a lot with governments, with um, policymakers. And um, one of my high points for this film would be to screen it at the European Union, you know, assembly. And then we are already planning a lot of impact screenings in Nigeria, uh, with the government, with communities. Parents need to see this film as much as possible because at the end of the day, most of this pressure comes from the home front. Mm. And these young people have this heavy load on their shoulders to take care of their families when they have not even figured out what to do with their own lives. You know, so I need these parents, I need these families to watch this film and to see what people are going through out there just to satisfy um, their expectations. Uh, I think those are very important takeaways that I would like for the film. I will definitely go and check it out and I will give you my takeaways from, from the film. So, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but Ike, thank you so much for, 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 you know, for this conversation. My last question to you is really just about travel in general. What is your relationship with travel today? We know how it started. <laughs> what is your relationship with travel today? I think travel is... It's like a bug. Once it bites you, um, you never actually quite recover from it. It's like an addiction, but it's a beautiful addiction because you realize that traveling is actually the most amazing way to experience um, life. You know, my people, the Igbo people actually have a saying that Onije ka onisiawo wemalife literally translates that a traveler is wiser than a gray-haired person, you know. So it just means that if you have a young person who has traveled a lot, he or she is most likely to be wiser than an old person who hasn't really traveled, you know. So travel is also a powerful form of education, is a powerful way of understanding other people's cultures and of course that would help with conflict resolution i mean if 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 we understand each other better there will be less conflicts in the world so i think that we should actually promote traveling a lot more i normally joke that when i become the president of nigeria i'm going to make sure that there's a program that ensures that a lot of people travel 
you know, especially like from the secondary school to the universities, it just has to be part of the curriculum. People just need to get out, get out there, experience other people's cultures, understand other people's way of life. Because sometimes when you're just in your own place and, you know, you think that the world starts and ends around you like that. But when you step out, um, you start to appreciate life in a different light. I still remember that the first time I ever appreciated Nigeria as my country was that first time that I left the country, you know. So I think that travel is a very powerful tool for development, um, both at the self level and both at the community and national level. Perfect. I 100% agree with you. So thank you so, so much. This has been a beautiful conversation. I truly appreciate uh, your time and wish you all the best with this film and the many more others that you are going to be making. Thank you, Lelo. And all the best with all your endeavors and your travel blog. (laughs) Thank you. This episode of Chica Travel Podcast was proudly brought to you in partnership with the Joburg Film Festival, Our Stories, Our Gold.